Hello and welcome to the City View podcast. It's Charlie Conchi here again, in for Andy Sylvester. We'll shortly be joined by Michael Hewson from CMC Markets and Susanna Streeter from Hargreaves Lansdowne to chew over the week's big economic news ahead of the Chancellor's spring statement tomorrow. But first, some of the headlines in City AM and beyond today. London law firm Mishkondaraya is facing a £65.8 million lawsuit over claims its negligent advice led to the collapse of a major property deal. Property investor Orium Real Estate London Ultra Prime is suing Mishcon after the law firm advised the fund to build around a holdout tenant which refused to leave premises overlooking High Park. And the crisis for P&O has deepened with the 800 employees reportedly being forced to sign non-disclosure agreements in order to receive redundancy pay. That's according to Transport Secretary Grant Shapps, who told the House of Commons yesterday that the company is using the agreements to try to keep the employees quiet while behaving in a shameful and unacceptable way. NatWest is set to be the first UK high street lender to move into the booming buy now, pay later market as it rolls out a dedicated product for customers later this year. The bank said the product would be available from this summer and would allow shoppers to defer payments anywhere that accepts MasterCard. Bosses at the UK arm of Russian energy giant Gazprom, meanwhile, have made a bid to buy out the firm as businesses scramble to sever ties with it after Russia invaded Ukraine. The Manchester-based Gazprom Energy, which supplies more than a fifth of companies, has been left just days from needing a government bailout through a special administration regime. And to add to its spell of recent bad luck, departing national lottery operator Camelot UK was whacked with a £3.15 million fine by the gambling watchdog this morning for failures linked to its mobile app. The errors included it failing to inform up to 20,000 players that their winning draw-based ticket was a non-winner and accidentally charging players for double tickets. And we're joined now by Michael and Susanna. So Michael, if we come to you first, the big story of the week is, of course, the Chancellor's spring statement tomorrow, but he has been struck a, a slightly uncomfortable blow with this morning's public sector borrowing figures. How do you sort of feel that sets the context of tomorrow's spring statement? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think the Chancellor was hoping for some good news from the February numbers, but they came in at £12.3 billion. But, you know, before I think everyone gets too pessimistic, if we look at the January revision, rather than the £3.7 billion repayment, we got a £7.8 billion repayment. So, um, essentially, the Chancellor still has around about £25, £26 billion to play with. Um, certainly come in below OBR estimates um, from around about five or six months ago. So that does give him some wriggle room when it comes to the spring statement tomorrow. Um, certainly, can I think it certainly gives him flexibility to cut fuel duty. Um, let's not forget that 91p in the pound goes in tax on one litre of petrol, 57.95p of that per litre, plus 20% VAT on top. He could also raise the national insurance thresholds. They are due to go up. The primary threshold is due to go up from £9,568 to £9,880. He could actually increase that further and take an awful lot of the lowest earners out of the national insurance threshold. And that could well mitigate some of the squeeze that that, um, consumers are likely to feel um, when obviously the um, the tax code and the tax changes take place in April. So Susanna, even with that sort of extra wriggle room there, do we kind of assume that the chance is going to have to step in to curb that borrowing somehow? Do the politics of the situation really kind of demand it from the Chancellor? 
I like what Michael's had to say. It certainly is in tune with what Sir Charlie Bean, who was responsible for economic forecasts at the Office for Budget Responsibility, has been saying. He reckons somewhere between 25 billion and 50 billion that the Chancellor has to play with. And certainly there is pressure mounting on the Chancellor to come up with something because this cost of living squeeze really is eye-watering. The problem is even a cut in the fuel, fuel duty would be a drop in the ocean when you look at just how far uh, fuel prices, those prices at the pumps have risen. That it's back from the record highs just before uh, the statement. It's still really tough uh, for people also being faced with higher energy bills set to land on mats and, of course, uh, the tax rises planned. So I do certainly think that there is going to be real pressure on the Chancellor to come up with the goods. He is uh, certainly under pressure right now. I think fuel duty will be cut, but whether or not it will really make much difference to the average family, well, I don't think it will. And I think we're going to have to see kind of more fiscal changes in the autumn to really relieve pressure, given that inflation is set to rise even further by that point. So I think it's just going to be a start of the journey to try and alleviate the cost of living squeeze, which is fast turning into a cost of commerce squeeze as well. So that that soaring inflation does sort of really set the context for all global business stories at the moment. When we look across the the pond to the States as well, uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell was sounding slightly more hawkish than expected yesterday, Michael. Yeah, that's certainly reflected in what we're seeing in U.S. bond markets and bond yields specifically. We've seen a big, big jump this week alone on not only U.S. 10-year treasuries, but two-year treasuries as well, highest levels since 2019. Certainly, I think the Fed is behind the curve. I was struck by the fact that he wouldn't rule out the prospect of more than one 50 basis point rate hike. So I would suggest that several hikes of similar magnitude could well be on the cards, maybe two, maybe three. But we also need to bear in mind that the Fed funds rate is well below currently where it was pre-pandemic when it was around about 1.5 to 1.75%. If you think about where the Bank of England base rate is currently, it's now back at pre-pandemic levels. So the Fed is a long way behind. It cut rates from a much higher level. So I think markets are fairly relaxed about it for the time being in terms of equity markets. They're holding up fairly well. Bond markets are obviously selling off. Yields are going up. But I think the narrative has really shifted in the past two or three months, particularly where the Fed is concerned. And they are much more concerned now about inflation running out of control. um, And transitory now seems so last year. And I think the big question now for the Federal Reserve is whether they can hike at a fast enough rate without tipping the US economy in recession and ergo potentially tipping the global economy into recession. Yeah, the Fed very much is between a rock and a hard place and really does see little option but to try and chip away inflation with an even bigger rate rate hike. And as uh, Michael's been pointing out, I think the narrative really has changed. Although, to be fair, so many questions were, well, had already been raised about really whether this was transitory. And, and even had the situation in Ukraine not erupted, um, it's likely that higher prices were going to linger for longer anyway. But of course, it means prices are even higher and that 
really the market is is in its reaction is showing that it investors just showing that they really do understand that actually there's little option right now but to make much more aggressive hikes the problem is yes yeah, as, as michael says it could tip the us economy into recession but still the real bugbear is inflation and if it's if it's runaway inflation and the oil price is staying elevated dip back a little bit today still around 114 dollars a barrel but is likely to stay extremely volatile. We had uh, some kind of downward pressure uh, because of what was happening in China with those lockdowns and that caused downward pressure last week. But certainly it appears as though Beijing is not willing to uh, keep people locked down and uh, businesses are locked down for long. And so that's partly uh, contributing to the upwards pressure we've seen over the past couple of sessions. Um, so I think, you know, with these higher transport costs, commodity prices across the board really staying elevated, there is real concern. So I think that's why you're still seeing uh, the markets reacting as they are. Certainly no taper tantrum yet, because ultimately it's the direction of travel that most people really assess that we should be moving in. So Susanna, you, meant, you mentioned oil prices there, and they have sort of been swinging all over the place in the last week. It dipped below 100 last week, as you said, and been back on the rise. Can you give us a, a bit more of a sense of what's going into those swings and whether we can expect them to continue for the foreseeable? Well, certainly, uh, while we don't know what the outcome of these negotiations will be, the oil price is set to stay extremely volatile. Every time you get a snippet of news indicating that perhaps we may be closer to a ceasefire in Ukraine, the pressure seems to ease off, but then ratchet back up again um, when it becomes clear that actually the sides, there is still a gulf separating them. And I think that pattern will continue. And as well, without any uh, resolution yet in terms of the Iran nuclear deal, and uh, the foot being taken off the lockdown pedal in China, it certainly seems as though all prices are set to stay elevated. Uh, what traders are really assessing is the likelihood um, of uh, Germany saying yes to a crude uh, oil embargo from the European side. At the moment, they're still pushing back, uh, despite more and more European leaders most falling into line with the United States and saying, well, actually, if this continues, we feel there is no option but to turn the sanction screws even tighter. So I think what happens there in terms of those negotiations and those talks with NATO, that's what traders are going to be watching very closely. So you've seen some, some figures out today as well that says London is set for its worst quarter in 13 years in terms of IPOs. Do you think we're, we're kind of set to see a, a sort of extended slowdown in firms coming to market both in London and beyond this year? I think timing is everything. And really the timing is extremely poor right now, uh, given uh, the volatility of commodity prices, interest rate rises. Already um, we had at the start of the year uh, volatility of stocks and the conflict in Ukraine has made the uncertainty even worse. So in this climate, it doesn't surprise me at all that a number of IPOs have been delayed. And of course, um, the city and the government here in the UK has certainly been trying to encourage more companies to list in London with the Financial Conduct Authority announcing a raft of new rules 
aimed at encouraging uh, just that. Uh, but I think uh, the very fact that a number of different IPOs that launched last year, uh, certainly those tech or heralded as tech platforms uh, and saw the price uh, uh, become extremely volatile after those listings. I think uh, that has not added to confidence in London as a centre for tech listings. So I expect the direction of travel is still going to be towards uh, New York instead. I think there's also an element with respect to IPOs here in London is they tend to, they tend to get priced lower. Um, you've seen that, particularly with SPACs as well. Um, the the market of choice generally tends to be the US, simply because there is this perception that um, investors can get a better valuation. Now, whether, of course, it's worth that valuation is another matter. It's basically about how much money they can raise from the listing. And in my experience, London generally tends to price at the lower end of expectations. And that is all from us in the City AM newsroom for the day. We'll be back again tomorrow.